Psalms 34. We're back in Psalms. Been in looking at community in Ephesians for a little while, but I hope you're excited to be back in the, in the Psalms. So we're in Psalm 34 today. I wanted to show you something as, as we got started. I don't know if you're aware of it or... Well, this is just the Crossway just came out with a journaling Psalms Bible. This is just Psalms. And they have one of these for every book of the Bible. Um, the cool thing about this Bible is it has a blank page on every page. And, uh, and so what was really neat when, when we, Jeff and I went to Maine, this is their, actually their growth group curriculum they use in their growth groups. They, they come in here and everybody takes notes in the message and you have the, that outlined then forever with, with God's Word, they actually bring it to the growth group with them. That's what they use. And so just to really, I would encourage you, this was only like 12 bucks. And I would encourage you, we'll try to get some for our library, but I would encourage you as we study books of the Bible that you, that you invest in one of them. Just go ahead and get yourself comfortable this morning because this is one of those really rare psalms and that we enjoy a, a very distinct context and so if you've got your Bible open to Psalms 34, notice at the very top before the psalm starts, it says that this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So that's the context for why David wrote this song that the church would sing. And so turn with me to 1 Samuel. I just want you to see... The context this morning, then we're going to read it, but I, I thought it's really important this morning, since we know the context, to be able to, as much as possible, we can't know every situation that happened during this time, we, we know what scripture reveals to us, but do you remember the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, we remember that story, if you look at verse 4, it's interesting to notice. It says, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. So, this champion, the Goliath, was from Gath. Important piece of information right there. Well, we know what happens. David is offended by what he says against the Lord God and God's people. So he goes to Saul. Look down at verse 30, 36, 37. Verse 37 says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go therefore, may the Lord be with you. So now then look down a little bit further. We know what happens. David marches out there before Goliath. Verse 45 and David said to the Philistine, You come with me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46. This is important. The, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And guess what happens? He strikes him down. He cuts off his head. He was confident and bold. And what happened after that? Do you remember? Saul sees this champion, wouldn't let him go back to his family, brings him in, but it didn't take long. Remember what happened? Saul got jealous, wanted to kill him, started throwing his javelin at David, trying to kill him. 
David develops a, a close relationship and friendship with Jonathan. Doesn't take long. David has to flee for his life from Saul. He loses his friend. I don't know if you remember, you can just flip through your Bible as we get to chapter 21. David then goes to the priest and lies to him. He deceives him in order to get food. And after that, we, we see in chapter 21 and verse 10, it says, And David rose and fled from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is, this not, is, is not this David, the king? Did they not sing to one another? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David's his ten thousand. Look at verse 12, very important. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before, before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors and the gates and spittle ran down his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Behold, you, you see this man is mad. Have you brought him to me? Verse 15, Do I lack madmen? Do you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Verse chapter 22, verse 1 said, David departed and escaped the cave of Adullam. Some think this is possibly where he wrote Psalms 34. So this is important. All that story, all that background. Psalms 34, listen, so what comes out of the situation? Psalms 34, back now, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, His ear towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be content, condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so, Lord, we're so grateful that you gave us the context of this because there is not one of us that have not experienced 
a situation like what David has experienced. And if we haven't, we will. And so, Lord, grant us the wisdom to see your truth and be changed by it. As we amen the prayer that was just uttered, Lord, may we taste and see in the midst of real life that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever found yourself in this situation? You're in a situation, it's difficult, and you didn't really cause it. Now, we've caused plenty of situations on ourselves that's difficult. We know that. But David's in a situation right here. He's in a predicament. And he didn't, he didn't do anything. I mean, he killed, he killed the giant. And next thing you know, he's in the, the king's court. And now the king's trying to kill him. He has to run from his life for his life. He didn't ask for that. He didn't cause that. And now he finds himself with two powerful men. Both of them had good reason to kill him. Saul was jealous of him. Remember, the king of Achish, he had earlier killed his giant. How did he respond? I think we're afraid to be honest there. It wasn't David's shining moment. (laughs) Goliath was, remember? Emboldened. God will deliver you from my hand. I'm going to cut off your hand and feed you to the birds. And then he finds himself before the king. And if we look back in 1 Samuel, he says he was afraid. So in those moments, we will often either blow up, shut up, or just panic. And we've all done it. And so did David. After that, sitting around the campfire, he's retelling the story of being delivered from the king. Psalms 34 helps us, you see. He's not sitting around and going, look what I did. Look how clever I was. Them guys really thought I was nuts. He remembers the Lord's mercy. He delivered me. David is remembering this situation through the lens of a good God. That though his faithfulness changed David's, God's never did. So David offers a thanksgiving and a wisdom psalm to give praise to him. This is an acrostic. We can't see this because we can't read Hebrew. This this was written in an acrostic, every letter of the alphabet, so that the people could remember it. What this sermon really is, the Psalms really is, is simply David's takeaways of that experience. He's given you, these are the things I want you to learn based off what I learned having gone through this. So what do we want to see? Well, let's begin at verse 8. And I know we're very linear thinkers, but you've got to see this as both a poem and a sheet of music. It has points, and it has a climax, and it has contrast, and it has parallels. I've broken your sermon notes down into the way this psalm is structured. I want us first to see the thesis statement. The theme of the song is captured in verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So our point, our main point today 
is having tasted that the Lord is good, the redeemed to magnify the Lord. That's where that comes from. That's our verse that says what the rest of us is going to explain. What does taste and see means? Well, taste means to savor something. See is our perception. This is one, two of three active imperatives. Ongoing imperative commands he has given to God's people. This taste means to know, to understand, and to experience. So this is important. Turn with me to Psalms 100. I want you to see this. Is it, is it dark up here? I feel like it's dark. It might, not, it, might just, it might just be me. Get over 40, everything seems a little dark, and you know, you need a little bit more light. And praise the Lord, one day he's going to change this body. I won't need, I won't, I won't, we'll have all the light we need in heaven, amen. Psalms 100, verse 5. Here's, here's the question I want you to ask this morning. What is foundational here? That we taste and see, or that God is good? You see, there is a first thing here. Which is first, foundational, that you experience something or that God is something. Psalms 105, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That verse right there should drive us to deepen our trust and love for our God. His faithfulness is to all generations. You see, this is important. My tasting and seeing is inconsistent. It is. So it was with David's. It's inconsistent. On a good day, it's inconsistent. The goodness of the Lord never changes. You see, that's why it's first. God does not change. His love for His people cannot change. Are you tasting seeing that the Lord is good today? Peter knew this, this psalm's well. May have even been one of his favorites, I don't know. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2, verse 3. It's a context of holiness. He asked a question. Not really a question. He's, he's given them a if, if then. 1 Peter 2, 3. If indeed you have tasted... That the Lord is good. In other words, holiness is the outflow of tasting and seeing the Lord is good. Have you tasted it? You see, here's, turn with me back a page to chapter 1. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Listen to verse, this is, this is, this is first since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, it is first and foremost that you have been born again. You must have something that is imperishable to taste and see. You must understand that God is good and then experience it. You see, that's what tasting and seeing is about. Those who taste and see take refuge in the Lord God. That's what He wants to people to gain by his experience. He's not magnifying around the campfire. Look at me and how, and how tricky I was. I got one. That's not what he does. 
Here's what he's focused on. Look at verses 4 to 7. Back to Psalms 34. I, I want you to see this. This is important the way he's writing. We need to learn this about the Psalms. I sought the Lord, and the, and the Lord did two things. He, what is it? He answered me, and he what? Delivered me. I sought, he answered, he delivered. Verse 5. Those who look to him are what? Radiant, and their faces shall never be what? Ashamed. Verse 6. The poor man did what? Cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. The angel of the Lord does what? Encamps those who fear him and delivers him. You see what he's doing there? That's the way the Psalms. That's the, he's getting, he's, he's expanding it. Tasting and seeing is like talking about your favorite dessert. You ever engage somebody with a conversation? I hope you've never done this. And if you've been the one, I love lemon meringue pie. And someone says, I do too. I just love it. And I said, if you could go anywhere right now and get a lemon meringue pie, who, where would you go? Whose house would you drive to? And they said, well, I had never really had one. I just read about it in a book. I read that Martha Stewart thing, and she described it, and it seemed like it tasted so good. You ain't really tasted and seen. That's what he's saying. David is teaching us out of his own experience of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I sought him, and he answered me. I sought him, he delivered me. I looked to him, and he changed my countenance and removed my shame. In my panic, that's what cry means right there. I cried, I was in terror. When in my panic, I cried out to him, and he heard me, and he saved me. Psalms 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Remember, that's the verse that the devil threw in Jesus' face when he was being tempted. This is important. It should, should comfort you this morning. David's seeking. David's looking. And David's crying was not a perfect seeking. It wasn't a perfect looking. It wasn't a perfect crying. But God's answering, His delivering, and His saving was. His always is. It's perfect. You see, verses 4 to 7 and verses 15 to 18 are put together. It's the meat of this psalm. It teaches us two important truths. First, the reality of the hardship and fear. This is the reality. I'm sorry if you've heard some preacher say, when you come to Jesus, all the, all the bad things go away. That's just not true. David's saying, I'm trying to teach you out of my experience. That's just not true. Matter of fact, the closer you walk in God's will, the more, more hardship you will face. The more you get on the devil's nerves, the more he's going to get in your business. I guess that's just a southern way of saying that. I don't know. It's the same thing. This is the meat. Reality of hardship is real. He wants us to know that today. But also the power of prayer. Don't miss that today. That's what he's doing. Listen, the power of imperfect prayer. On our best day, we don't pray perfectly. We don't. We just happen to serve a perfect God. Your growth group material, I hope you're in a growth group. Matthew 6, 24 to 34. 
I'm not going to read it. He simply wants us to understand, and you're going to look at this more in growth group. God cares, so don't worry. Seek him. David, think about this. David's still in the cave. (laughs) He's still a fugitive. I mean, he's not the king yet. And yet he has tasted and he is seeing. God is good. He rescued me. And in the midst of a cave, he can experience the goodness and the joy of his God. He wants us to go a little deeper here in this song. And so he's got a section connected to it. So look down with verses 15 to 18. This is connected structurally to verses 4 to 7. And he's taking us deeper. It says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ear toward their cry. See how God-centered this is? Yahweh-centered. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off their memory. When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Here David gives human qualities to God. Said he has eyes and ears and a face. What's What's his point? He's wanting us to know that he's near. That's what he's saying. He's saying, my Yahweh is personally, was personally involved in that circumstance. Look back up to verse 6. That's why it's important to understand the structure. Verse 6. Who was the poor man in verse 6? David was. I was the poor man. Because he wants you to understand the poor man is also verse 18. He is the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Now we're getting to see what is going on inside of David in the midst of his trial. He wasn't just afraid, he was brokenhearted, crushed in spirit. In the midst of that, in the midst of even doing the wrong thing, he cried out to his God, and his God rescued him. Here's what he feels in that moment, in that cave as he retired. He said, it was as if I was the only person in the universe and God has directed all of himself to me. That's the meat of this song. Hardship is reality and prayer is powerful. But the heart of the psalm is the fear of God. This is the heart. This is in the very center of, the, of it so that we can focus on it. Verses, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Those who taste and see fear the Lord. So there's three imperatives. Taste, see, and fear. All of them active, ongoing, this is wisdom. You should remind you of the Proverbs. Proverbs 9, verse 10. Remember, Proverbs has everything to say of wisdom, even ascribing a gender to wisdom to help us understand. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Verse 11. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. He really is describing the blessed life. 
as a life that tastes and sees and that fears God. That's what the blessed life looks like. Matthew 10, 28. You remember we, we read this all the time. Don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Most people don't read verse 29. And not two spare, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. Are you not more value than them? You see, fear of man was what he was experiencing in that moment. I'm afraid of what the king is going to do. That's what fear of man does. You see, fear of God is distinct. It is different. It is a healthy respect and a reverence to trust Him to do what is good for you. This is why, parents, God has not called you to be your kid's buddy. He's called you to be their parent. And if they don't have a healthy, reverent respect for you, then you are not teaching them how to respond to their God. There's a difference here. Fear is tied to something. So fear of God is reverence, yes. But it's more than reverence. That's why he wants us to focus. That's why this is the pinnacle of what he wants us to see this morning. It's more than reverence. The fear of God always leads to obedience before God. How do you know you fear God? You trust Him and you obey Him. How do you know that you do not fear God? You do not trust Him and you do not obey Him. You see, those who taste and see not only fear the Lord, but they also obey Him. Verse 11 to 14. These are connected. <coughs> listen to the wisdom He's teaching here. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? In other words, everybody does. Here's the wisdom. Verse 13. Here's what fear of God looks like. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Fear is defined not by emotions or attitude, but by action. Peter understands this. If you still have Peter marked, turn back with me to 1 Peter 3. Look at verse 10. Who is Peter quoting here? He's quoting Psalms 34. He's in the holiness. He's in the practicals of it. In 1 Peter 3.10, he, he quotes it. Whoever desires love to see good days, let, him, let his tongue from evil, his lips from deceit, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace. Direct quote from Psalms 34. Look down to verse 15 in 1 Peter 3. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. To fear God, to treat Him as holy, is to be prepared for action. 
in the way we walk, in the way we speak about our Jesus. These are David's takeaways from his real situation. The Lord is good, so take refuge in Him. Fear Him. Don't fear them. Fear Him, not them. Obey Him, not them. It's a question. Knowing the story, we know the whole story. Do you think God may just have been preparing David for something? We have the benefit of looking back. He didn't have that benefit in the midst of the storm. And listen, in the midst of yours, you don't have it either. God knows the plans for you and the plans for your children and the plans for your grandchildren. But He's not going to tell you. Because He is good. And He calls us to trust Him. So that's the meat and that's the heart. So let's put the ends on it, right? These are books. We've stacked them up. The bookends hold this, hold the books upright. So let's put the first bookend on, verses 1 to 3. Those who taste and see boast in the Lord. He starts, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. So this is the bookend that holds all of this together. Worship. That's why, he's, that's why he's recounted his experience. That's why he's given you what he's taken away. He's, he does it so that we as God's people might be reminded of it and even sing it. So what can we see here? Well, three things that's obvious. Look at verse 1. The praise of the Lord is continual. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. In other words, worship's not something you just do on Sunday. Worship's what we do. We worship. Everybody worships something. He says, worship the Lord. You see, this is God-centered. I will bless the Lord. His praise. My soul boasts in the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Let us exalt His name. This is God-centered. And notice, it's a product of a grateful heart. Not an entitled one. Entitled people don't worship. This praise is both individual and corporate. Look at the word. I want you to see it. I want you to grab this. Look at verse 2. My soul makes this boast. That word boast, he could have put praise right there and it would have worked. Boast is what we praise in. My soul must boast in the Lord. Let the humble, in context now, the word humble means humiliated or it's connected toward his affliction. It's connected to the context of what he had just been through. He said, my soul praises, makes his boast in the Lord. Those that are afflicted and have been humiliated. Boast in Him. Because He's delivered them. I want you to see something. I skipped over verse 10. Because it's easy to read over. I want to go back to that. Make sure I make this point clear. Because there's a lot of this going on today. 
Let me read verse 9 and 10 again. It says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, listen, have no lack. Verse 10, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So here's my question in verse 10. What's he bring up a lion for? The young lions suffer want and hunger. He's using an illustration that they understand, and if you've watched National Geographic, you understand it too. So there's a pride of lions. They take care of themselves, but there is an alpha male. He's in charge. He eats first. (laughs) What happens, you see, is the young lion decides that he wants to be the alpha male. So he raises up and tries to be in charge. You know what ends up happening? He gets ran off from the pride. He ends up alone and isolated. That's what he's saying. The young lions rise up in their self-cunning, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and all they get is want and hunger because of it. He is saying anything. He wants us to learn anything But you're supposed to live in this life by your own self-cunning, self-dependent independence. That might be American. It is not Christian. He is saying do anything but that. We rely on our God in the midst of this thing. You see, your grief can become your prison. When it isolates us and bring us eventually to boasting in the Lord that He is good in the midst of our grief. The very important things in your life and the hardest things in your life are not to mean to isolate you, but to bring you to the goodness of the Lord who will never leave you. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. I love this quote this week. The purpose of praise is not to make us people feel good, but to acknowledge in a communal way the greatness of our God. Let me me say it again. The purpose of praise is not to make God's people feel good, but to acknowledge Him in in a communal way the greatness of our God. And when we do, we taste and see that the Lord is good. You can almost read this psalm. You get to the last. Let's put the last bookend on that now. Praise the Lord for the cross. And we've, praise team did such a good job. I hope that comes back to your mind. Everything that we, we were singing before this. Let me read this section. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him, delivers out of them all. He keeps all his bones Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Do you see it? The backdrop of the cross in the midst of our situation in our lives. So no situation... No point in time in our life that is really hard, that is really suffering, that is really painful. 
should silence the voice of our praise. Why? Because that situation and that point in time cannot defeat God's power to deliver us. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ is alive. That's how we know it. Just look at verse 20 and now turn with me to John 19. I want you to see this. John telling the story in chapter 19 has come to the cross. Tells us about Pilate at verse 16 says, So he delivered him, Pilate, delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Look at verse 36 as he recounts everything that happened, everything that Jesus said. Verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says. They will look on him whom they have pierced. This is why Jesus could say to his disciples. In one breath. You're going to be delivered over. You're going to suffer and many of you are going to die. And in the same breath, say, not one of your hairs will fall to the, the ground. Why? We we'll see in verses 19 to 22, David's doing the same thing that we as New Testament Christians are doing. He's applying an eternal view into our temporal experience. There's some things eternally that's set in heaven. And nothing can affect it. And what God has spoken over you as His child. And what He has spoken over me. And what He has accomplished on the cross. When He was pierced for our transgressions. And bruised for our iniquities. When He carried our sin and death. And He carried it all into the grave. And He rose victorious and glorified. That's what God speaks over me. And He's given us promises. I was talking to some of us, and I know us all feel that way. You say they're going, but Pastor, my body's broken down. Every year, something else works a little bit less. What about that? No bones broken. I wish we had time to go to 1 Corinthians 15 so that we could be reminded that one day, one day, not only you will be raised, and not only your body will be glorified, but everybody that preceded you in death will be as well. And those that are in Christ will be raised and glorified, and we will stand beside each other in our glorified bodies, redeemed, made perfect for worship. That's where all this ends. It's the bookend of your life, the bookend of David's. Turn with me to Romans 8. He asked a good question. We should ask it at the end of every sermon. <laughs> at the end of every time where you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Look at Romans 8. Look at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? That's a good question, isn't it? This is who God is. And so even though you never respond perfectly to anything that we do in life, God always responds perfectly. 
So we can trust Him. So that we can fear Him. So that we can obey Him. He's spoken over us at the cross. It's finished. It's done. The victory's won. We will stand before with Him in worship. What do we say about those things? Well, here's what Paul says, and I can't say it any better. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us, how will He not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all the day long being killed. We are regarded as sleep to a slaughter. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you and me from the love of Christ. That's good news. Have you tasted and seen the sweetness of that? Can ask no... No better question. A couple of questions are in your notes. Who are you boasting in for your deliverance? If it's anything else, if it's anyone else, if it's any, if it's a prescription or the person you're married to, it will never give you deliverance. Only Christ can. And only He responds to you perfectly on your worst day in life. He's proven it in David's life, and He's proven it in yours. Let us trust Him. Am I experiencing this double security Verse 22, I'm redeemed. I will never be condemned. It's hard to do something when someone grabs a hold of that truth. I am redeemed. Not by my works, but by His. I will never be condemned. What are you going to do with a man like that? Do you, have you experienced that? I can't, I can't end any other way than Isaiah 55 says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me. And eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. And so God. It is our plea and our prayer that everyone has. 
tasted this water, has eaten this bread, and if not, they would come to you by faith. That by your grace, you would save them and bring them into your family to a place of real refuge, a place of security and safety and rest. Thank you, Lord, that on our worst days, you never change. the worst time in my life that I have blew it you were still there and that you didn't leave me may our lives reflect worship because of this ongoing abiding truth and may now we stand to our feet and come to you our God our Father our Savior and our Lord in whose name we pray amen Stand, let's worship.